We are a collection of small states. We are a small central bank. But yet we set ourselves an ambitious target to be carbon neutral by 2022. And we are well on track to do that. And our point is, if as small states and as a small central bank, we can do that, the Caribbean being the lowest emitter of greenhouse gases, surely, but the hardest hit, surely our large polluters and emitters could do more. And we demand that they do more. And we believe that by doing what we've done, we have the moral authority to make that demand. You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm Babak Apasade, CEO of Toronto Centre for Global Leadership in Financial Supervision. The voice you heard at the top of this podcast was Governor Timothy Antoine of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, or ECCB, talking about the importance of addressing climate risk. He's a forward-thinking, progressive governor and a strong leader with a very important message. On December 3, 2019, I had the privilege of interviewing the governor at the headquarters of the ECCB in St. Kitts. This was against the backdrop of Toronto Centre's week-long course for the supervisors of the ECCB on climate change and other environmental risks. This is in line with Toronto Centre's mission of providing high-quality capacity building programs for financial sector supervisors and regulators. Financial sector supervisors have an important role to play in dealing with climate risk as part of their ongoing oversight function of the financial sector. The Caribbean region is in many ways at the forefront of climate risk challenges. In this interview, the governor connected the dots in a very clear fashion. With a distinguished career at the IMF and in the Caribbean and an advanced degree from the London School of Economics, the governor has had many accomplishments and his bio will be too long for me to read. But you will find a link to his bio in our podcast notes. I hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. I'm honored to be here today with Governor Antoine of the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank and looking forward to my conversation with him about climate change and why financial sector regulators and supervisors should care about these risks. Governor, in April 2019, you spoke at Toronto Center's Climate Change, Financial Risks and Opportunities Executive Panel at the IMF World Bank Spring Meetings. Your comments were inspiring to many. I'm here to follow up. My first question is, both Toronto Centre and the Eastern Caribbean Central Banks care about climate change and related risks. From your perspective, why should financial supervisors and central banks care about climate change and what can they do about it? Right, well, Babak, first of all, it's great to have you and your colleagues from the Toronto Centre at our campus here in St. Kitts, at Eastern Caribbean Central Bank. Um, we're very pleased to have you, and um, to continue that conversation, we started in Washington, D.C. Why should we care? 
We should care because climate change is an existential threat to our planet, but especially to small island developing states as ourselves. And as a regulator of the financial system, we recognize that climate change is a real threat to financial stability and the viability of our system. And so we have a, a, a duty, really, to ensure that we take account of that risk in our enterprise risk management and ensure that we, we prepare and we adequately mitigate this risk. Thank you for that. At a June 2019 press conference, you mentioned that one of your top priorities was the improvement of the central bank's disaster and climate resilience strategies. Can you please share some of the changes happening at the central bank to improve the bank's climate resilience? Yes, well, this is quite a big work stream for us now. So first thing, we had to overhaul our business continuity plans uh, to ensure that we, as far as possible, we minimize the risk of major disruption and in the event of a disruption that we can uh, recover very quickly. So we looked, for example, at recovery sites uh, outside of St. Kitts. The fact of the matter is that we're a central bank of eight countries. And we're not only the uh, responsible for the oversight of the financial system, but we also have the payment system. So it's very important for us to minimize disruptions in our payment system. And the fact of the matter is when there's, a, a for example, a, a natural disaster, let's say a hurricane in the area, we have to assess this impact on any one of our member countries. So sometimes it might be affecting one or two countries, but not all six. We want to minimize the risk of shutting down the central bank in, and in that way, stopping the service available to all eight countries. So we try to be very careful and very thoughtful about the design of our business continuity plans to minimize the risk on any member country at any one given point in time. And in the event that we have to shut down the system, to be in a position to ramp up very quickly. Very good answer. Um, thoughtful. Governor, um, we feel very privileged that you've invited us to come here and actually hold our very first course on climate change and resilience for financial sector supervisors and regulators. So thanks for hosting us in your beautiful campus. How can capacity building efforts such as Toronto Center's course on climate change and other environmental risks being conducted this week as we speak in St. Kitts contribute to these objectives? Well, for, for starters, we believe and we have asked that all of our licensees incorporate climate risk in their risk management frameworks. Having done that, it is now our job to ensure that we monitor the management of these risks in our licensees. This course, therefore, is extremely useful at this time because what it allows us to do is to build our own capacity to develop our tools, to develop our understandings of the frameworks, and to use those in our on-site assessments and off-site surveillance of our licensees. So this is an important capacity building opportunity for our examiners. But in addition to that, we will use the knowledge gained here to share with our member countries. We're very big on capacity building with our member countries. So anything we know, we try to pass on to our member countries. So not only will the licensees benefit, other regulators will benefit, and even country, uh, member countries, finance ministries, for example, would also benefit from this. Well, I'm glad that we can help. 
And also, I'm delighted to tell you that uh, we did a survey of your participants and we had 95% or actually 97% response, which is really high. So your participants are very, very engaged. Your officials are very engaged in the course. Right. We have to work on that 3%. <laughs> we will. Don't worry about that. What are some of the initiatives ECCB is championing in building resilience and digital transformation in the Eastern Caribbean? So one of our most exciting projects is in fact our campus greening. And under the campus greening program, uh, a key project is our solar carports. What we have done essentially is to begin with the first phase, which will end in December this month. Uh, and then we move quickly in January to the second phase, which we expect to finish by June of 2020. At the completion of phases one and two, we will, we project, be generating about 60% of our energy needs on the campus. Now, that is important because we've set ourselves a target to be carbon neutral by 2022. So next year, we should be 60% of the way there. We will then do some additional investments to ensure that we hit the target. And that is a very important project for us and an exciting one. But beyond the environmental reasons for doing it. It's good for bottom line, but it also, and I make this point repeatedly because we feel strongly about it, it helps us, it gives us a moral authority to demand that more be done for our climate, especially from the major emitters and polluters. Um, if a small country and a small central bank can do this with very limited resources, you can do more and you ought to do more. And that's the message that we want to promote. So you not only you talk the talk, you walk the walk. Exactly. <laughs> so, Governor, activities you're working on are not being done in a vacuum. There's a whole international discussion around this, right? So there are international initiatives such as the Network for Greening the Financial System, central bankers and supervisors, about I think 36 to more countries that are members of it now. The Task Force on Financial Disclosure that have stepped up and improved discourse on climate risk and international coordination. How is the ECCB relating to these and other international mechanisms? Well, first of all, we welcome these initiatives and these mechanisms. Uh, at least one of them has reached out to us, and we are learning more about the work of these mechanisms. And our expectation is that going forward, 2020 and beyond, we will become more involved directly in some of this work. But we're very pleased with what has happened uh, of late, and we think it's a good step forward. Excellent. And this is a question about your region now. Are Caribbean regional bodies, like the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, Caribbean Development Bank, the Caribbean Community Climate Change Center, doing enough in managing climate risk? And related to that, what factors support or constrain action at the policy level in the regional setting? After the monster storms in 2017, Hurricanes Maria, Irma and Maria, the CARICOM or Caribbean community, known as CARICOM, made a bold declaration to make the Caribbean the first climate resilient region in the world. That requires major policy policies, but also investments. In terms of policies, a lot of the work has been around climate policy assessment. So working with development partners like the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the Caribbean Development Bank, our countries have been doing 
climate policy assessments to building ex-ante frameworks to mitigate, to, to basically build resilience uh, for, for, for any of these shocks. And we focus as well on disaster risk financing strategies. The key focus of a lot of these strategies are to build resilience, the fiscal front. So you would see a number of our countries are now doing fiscal responsibility legislation. Jamaica, Grenada, Barbados, the Bahamas, for example, have done fiscal responsibility legislation. That is important for building fiscal resilience. We're also working on financial resilience. And a lot of that work has to do with risk transfer mechanisms. So for example, the Caribbean Catastrophe Risk Insurance Facility, the first multi-country catastrophe risk pool in the world was set up by the Caribbean in 2007. In fact, it came after Hurricane Ivan in 2004. That was impetus. The, the focus now is on scaling up that uh, facility to be able to offer more coverage, insurance coverage for our members uh, and to and expand the product range. So right now it covers tropical cyclone, which is hurricanes, earthquakes, excess rainfall, and there are plans for drought and another and other. We just also launched a, a product for, for fisheries, for fisher folk. So there's financial resilience. And then comes the big work of resilient infrastructure, physical and digital. And of course, to do that, we need resources. What are the constraints? First, our countries are very frustrated by the fact that the international community continues to over-rely on the use of per capita income as a metric for delivering grants and concessionary financing. We absolutely believe that the focus ought to be on vulnerability. We are small island developing states, um, low-lying, uh, much of our assets are along the coast. Uh, you know, When a disaster hits a country, it hits the entire country, not a part of the country. The second concern is the, the difficulty with accessing promised climate finance resources. There's been a lot of talk following the Paris uh, Accord, Paris Treaty, about making resources available, especially for adaptation in, in developing countries, island states. We have not seen many of these resources. So that's the problem. And I think the third major constraint is that there isn't enough private sector financing at the table to build climate resilience. So there's, a, there's a, a, an over-dependence on the state to do that. And given the financing needs in respect of resilient infrastructure, whether it is roads, ports, energy, the private sector has to become more involved. The challenge in these small states is that very often they're seen as frontier markets and high risk. So you do need to have mechanisms to create to reduce the risk, whether that is creating partial credit guarantee schemes, whether it's partnering with uh, AAA credit, credit, creditors to be able to bring down the cost of the financing. Those mechanisms need to be better explored if we are to be really finance the resilient infrastructure gap that currently exists in the Caribbean. So it certainly seems like uh, the region is punching above its uh, weight. We're punching above our weight, but we're concerned that we need to be moving even faster. And we would love to have more resources and support to do that. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, it's been a real pleasure to have the Toronto Center this week. Um, I think last year we collaborated on a technology risk workshop. Very important, very timely. This time we're doing climate risk. And... Um, 
I must tell you, uh, as a CEO of Toronto Center, that we absolutely um, find your staff very professional and responsive. Uh, we've developed a very good working relationship with Shalina and the rest of the team. Um, and we are looking forward to continuing our collaboration in the new year and going forward. I certainly want to say finally, um, thanks to the government of Canada. I know Canada is a big contributor to the center. There are others like Sweden and so on. And basically to say that we appreciate that the support that they're giving for Toronto Center because it allows us to tap into your resources and you bring a global uh, sort of impact. You, you, you work with central banks and other players around the world, small and large, and you're able to, of course, work with us on very issues that are particularly important to us and relevant at this point in time, like climate, like technology, uh, like crisis financing. And I think those are areas that uh, really help to strengthen our financial system. So the collaboration has been good. And frankly, we look forward to doing even more in the end. I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. And I just want to echo back that I, we find your staff highly professional, very eager and enthusiastic. And your region, Eastern Caribbean, is very important to Toronto Center. I know it is to Canada and other development agencies as well. But uh, we see it as a very important region for us as well. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership. Mm -hmm.